week two of Wired for Worship. Uh, excited to talk about worship and us uh, singing together and bringing our praises before our amazing King and Lord. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to tell you a, a quick story uh, of what God is doing in your heart and in the life of this church. Um, and um, I say that to say uh, this is a tough story for me to share personally. Um, <laughs> told it three times today, I'm choking up at every single story. Um, one of my son's teammates, his father's been battling cancer for 18 months and lost that battle to cancer a couple weeks ago. And uh, you guys have um, been ministering to the Page family um, off and on throughout those 18 months. There's been times when the chemo treatments have been very difficult and you guys have been taking meals out to the, the Page family and you've just been a blessing. You've just been the church. You've done what Jesus' church does. And um, I just want to share this because it's a testimony to what Jesus is doing in you and the amazing work of, of his redemptive work in our hearts and your hearts. But uh, I put out a, a link saying, hey, Jason's father passed away. Would you be willing to take a meal uh, to them? And uh, I just put a liner said, we're trying to get him to camp. And what I meant by that was that uh, would he be ready to go to camp, right? Mentally, emotionally, for a 10-year-old to have to bury his father, that's a lot. Um, I didn't know if he'd be ready to do that. Um, but there was someone in our church that right away said, Dason's camp is taken care of, like I'm paying for it. Like whatever we gotta do to get him there, we'll, we'll take care of it, I wanna take care of it, which was amazing. As the day went on, my phone kept blowing up all day long. Over seven, of, seven families, over seven families said, we want to pay for camp, we want to pay for camp, we want to pay for camp for Dason. And um, that's just an amazing testimony to your love for this community, for Dason and his family. And um, you have no idea how much joy um, Amy had through the phone um, as I got to tell her that Dason's taken care of. When he's ready, we've got him. And she called me middle of this week and just said, Dason's, Dason's ready to go to camp. So he's registered and he's going. And um, thank you for your generosity. You're changing lives. You're changing lives in the midst of a really, really sad and hard thing. But God's going to tell a good story out of it. I believe that wholeheartedly. And Wes, one of these days, we're going to face. And I can't wait to give him a hug and see him and talk to him. And so with that being said, week two of Wired for Worship. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to Second Chronicles. And uh, Second Chronicles is an amazing story that challenges me to ask the question, what type of follower of God am I? What is my life going to look like in the midst of the time that we find ourselves in right now? What, what is my life going to look like? What kind of life will my, will my life have when it comes to impacting others? I know for me, I, I want Jesus to make an impact in me and then through me to other people. And I think that all of us want that, don't we? Anybody that calls themselves a follower of Jesus, we want our life to impact other people. People. We want to impact the community. But oftentimes, I don't want to position myself in a place for impact because it's uncomfortable. I don't want to position my, my life 
in a place that, for impact to take place because I go, D do I really want that? Do I actually believe that? Do I actually believe what the text says? And oftentimes what God calls me to do is actually counterintuitive to how the world actually thinks and operates. It's opposite of what we've been taught. It's, it's opposite of what's been modeled for us. And so this story that we take a look at today is a story of a man who approaches the situation that, is, that he finds himself in totally opposite to how other kings would probably approach this situation. He puts himself in a position that, that we look at and the world would probably go, that, that's foolish, it's foolishness. What is this situation? What is this story? It's the story of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is a king who is reigning during the midst of what they call the divided kingdom. We've been talking about David, David's life where he ruled and reigned. After David's life, we have David and we have Solomon and we have kings that are starting to rule in different times. And as they're ruling in different times, we've, we've now gotten to a point where God's nation is divided. We've got the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. Everybody say Judah. And King Jehoshaphat is ruling in the midst of uh, Judah, divided kingdom. And as he's ruling in this divided kingdom, he's in the process in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, he's actually putting like rulers in place to work through conflict amongst the nation. He's actually leading, uh, not only in the sense uh, as a king um, spiritually, but also he's, he's an organized leader. He's putting things in place to work through conflict that's going on. And then after 2 Chronicles chapter 19, we get this amazing story, chapter 20. It says that after this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meonites declared war on Jehoshaphat. War. Everybody say war this morning. All right, we're, we're familiar with war. We know how war works, right? He declares war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazanon Tamar. This was another name for the En Gedi. Uh, the En Gedi is um, an amazing place out in the desert. There's water there. There's, there's, there's bushes and trees and it's lush and you look around and it's just dead. Like imagine the Hawaii mountains and then all of a sudden one place that's lush. This is the En Gedi. And uh, he goes on to say that Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. Someone goes to war with you and you are leading a nation. That's a normal reaction, right? Terrified. Uh, by this news and begged for the Lord's for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. So we start this story. King Jehoshaphat is a king ruling. And as he's of all sorts of different nations come and declare war. And, and here's, they're coming for you. And he's terrified, which is normal. Now, here's where Jehoshaphat in his normalcy of what we call normal changes. I know when I'm terrified, the natural reaction for me is to be terrified, to be worryful, and to begin to stew just in that. Anybody else with me on that? 
I'm just going to stew in that. Driving down the work, I'm terrified, I'm, I'm worried, anxiousness, and I just, am I, repeat, 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 repeat. Like that's, we just stew in it, right? We sit in it, I sit in it. But King Jehoshaphat doesn't do that, does he? He's terrified, he's worried, but I want you to notice that he, he begs for the Lord's guidance, and he, he calls on people to begin to fast. He doesn't go to like the worldly kings and go, what should I do? He doesn't even go to the people and say, what should I do? Instead, he seeks the Lord's help. He seeks the Lord's guidance. And he actually says, I've got to take this before the Lord. We've got to take this before the Lord. And I want to tell you that whatever you're facing today, Jehoshaphat is an example for us to take a look at. Whatever you're facing, are you willing to do what Jehoshaphat does? He brought it to the Lord, and he brought it to the Lord's people to actually begin to pray and fast. Some of you have come in this morning, and you have got a lot of stuff on your shoulders. You've got stuff going on in your marriage. You've got stuff on your heart. You're facing addiction. You're facing all these things that the enemy's coming with you at, and you believe that I just, I, if I worry about it, if I just keep thinking about it, if I keep just being terrified, you, you don't say that, but that's actually what you believe. That's what's been modeled to you. And Jehoshaphat doesn't do that. He brings it before the Lord, and he brings it before the people in community. And they begin to pray, and they begin to fast. Not only that, but verses 5 through 12, you can read this on your own. Jehoshaphat brings everybody together into the temple of the Lord, where they worshiped, where they offered sacrifice. And he starts praying and how he praises, he starts declaring about the goodness of God and his sovereignty, that he's in control. And he's praying this to God, and he's praying over the people. And as he's praying over God, and he's praying over the people, he begins to really seek the Lord's help, and not only seek the Lord's help, but seek his power. He's asking for the Lord to do something. Lord, would you do something in this situation? What about you? With the things that are going on in your life, do you seek for the Lord's power, and you seek it with the community of people as well. As he invites the people in, verse 13, it says, as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives and children, it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehizel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mananiah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. Look at verse 15. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, so Jehoshaphat steps forward. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, all, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but, what's it say? It's God's. This battle's not for you. It's for God. It's God's battle, which is a testimony to the fact that these people are coming together in prayer and fasting and in worship, and they're declaring, God, we're asking you to intervene. And guess what? God intervenes. When we as God's people come together, whether it's in a small group, a medium-sized group, a large group, when we come together in coming before the Lord and praying and fasting and worshiping, God intervenes. He begins to speak. He begins to work. The question we got to ask ourselves, and we talked about this last week, is do we come here on Sunday morning actually prepared with reverence and awe? That God is God. Do we come here with reverence and awe? 
And I can tell this morning, I mean, I, may, I haven't talked to you, but there's a certain aspect that it seems like you guys came this week ready, ready to worship with reverence and awe. And in these moments when we live in this place, God speaks, God intervenes, God does miracles that take place as you worship, as we worship and seek the Lord, God begins to speak and God begins to work. Let me give you a couple examples. This week, I was just sitting down talking to our associate pastor, Joe Oliver, and I was just talking to him about just my, my experience of what God's done over and over again in worship. And one of those things, if you've been here for a while, like you've probably already heard this story, but I, I will never forget the day that I was called into ministry. I'll never forget going down on a mission trip my senior year before I go off to college and going down to Tijuana. And as I'm down into Tijuana and we're about four days in, um, it's, it's, it's a bunch of high schoolers, a bunch of youth leaders, and the church all together in this small little room about the size of this room, and we're all worshiping. And as we're worshiping, uh, there's this amazing thing that takes place. Yes, we've been working hard. Yes, we've been serving. Yes, we've been, been trying to minister to them. And, and, and it was an amazing. And, and all the guys were just stinky as all get out, right? Because we're working hard and we're sweating. And you got that mix of sweat and BO and Doritos and Axe body spray and Old Spice all mixed together in one room. And it's amazing, right? Like youth leaders are like, let's go home. It's time to get a shower, right? But on this last night that we're there, we're worshiping. And nobody knows how to speak English there except for one guy. His name was Jose. And I wrote him on a regular basis for a couple years after I came back home. He was the only one that spoke English. And the reason why he spoke English, I asked him, I said, how did you learn English? Nobody else was speaking English. I go, how did you learn English? He goes, MTV. <laughs> I go, MTV? He goes, yeah, I just watched MTV all day, man. All day, just kept watching, just learned, learned English. And Jose's there, and the whole church is there, in the ghetto of this community, and we're worshiping. And I can't remember what 90s song we were worshiping to. I don't remember, but I do remember this. We were singing the same exact song they were singing, some 90s song, and they were singing in Spanish, and we were singing in English. And I was sitting there going, this is like Acts 2. All these different people coming together, singing and worshiping. And I was overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. And in this moment, I remember as I was worshiping, I remember God saying, Justin, this is my church. And it's not just in Meridian, Idaho. It's in Tijuana, Mexico. And guess what? It's not just in Tijuana. It's across the entire world. My church, my movement is across the entire world. And here's the thing you got to ask yourself, Justin, I'm asking you. Are you going to be about your plans and your dreams? Or will you be about my plans and my dreams? Will you be about my purposes? And that question rattled me to my core. Because my whole life, even though I loved Jesus and I was saved, no doubt, I'd always been like, what I want, what I want, what I think I'm supposed to do. And for the first time, I had to wrestle with, what does God want me to do with my life? I was like, God, like I'm going in in you. Like I, I got scholarships there. Like it's going to be good. And I wrestled with them all the way home back to Boise. Other kids are sleeping. I'm just wide awake, struggling. And as I'm telling that story about what God did in a worship time of seeking him, of God's people seeking him, Joe's like, man, I had the same exact experience, similar. Not same exact, but similar. When I was called into ministry. 
when God did a major move in my life. It was at church camp, youth camp. I was just a camp leader, camp counselor, and kids were coming to the altar, and kids were praising God and worshiping. And it was in that moment, it was almost like God opened up the reality, Joe said, of what really was going on in the spiritual warfare of, of the real reality of the kingdom of God. And it was in that moment that God said to me, Joe, I want you to lead students like these. This is while Joe's in high school. I want you to lead students like these to me. A couple weeks later, he has a dream. He's walking through the desert, and there's mountains and canyons all around him. And as he's walking through the desert, he turns around, and he looks, and there's these sea of kids that are following him and, and pursuing Jesus as Joe pursued Jesus. And it was in that moment, Joe was like, I, I think I'm supposed to be in misery. But where did it happen? It happened in the midst of God's people worshiping and praising and seeking him. And God intervenes in this story of King Jehoshaphat as they're singing praising, fasting, worshiping him. When we do that, God intervenes. The story goes on to say, tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the gorge of the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle, he says. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down, and what's it say? And worship before the Lord. Jehoshaphat finds himself in this situation that I, I'm just guessing, like there's a part of him that's a little bit like at war possibly with himself. I mean, there's a nation that's coming to fight at war against them, and they feel powerless. And if you're at war, then most likely you're going to wage some type of warfare back, right? But the story says that this battle doesn't belong to you. Go and face them, and the Lord's going to be with you. And he, he begins to worship God. Notice the obedience of Jehoshaphat. Deliverance hasn't even come yet. They haven't even started the war yet. And, and he's just being obedient and he's worshiping. God declares that he's going to fight for them. But the war hasn't even been won yet. And he's worshiping. His obedience is a response of worship, even though God hasn't even delivered them yet. His circumstances haven't changed. And he's worshiping. You catch that? It would make sense that like, oh, we won the war. Okay, now we're going to worship God, right? Joseph Ad doesn't do that. He's like, I'm going to worship. Battle's not mine. I'm going to worship. His circumstances aren't being dictated. His faith's not being dictated by his circumstances. His worship is not being dictated by his circumstances. Instead, he's allowing his God to dictate his response to his circumstances. Are you with me this morning? I know it's warm in here. Maybe the AC's not working. I don't know what's going on, right? It's a little warm in here. No? Not warm? Okay. But notice, notice, his response is not dictated by his circumstance. It's dictated by his God. Is that true for you? Is your worship dependent upon your circumstances, or is it dependent upon the God that you serve and that you know? And Jehoshaphat, he worships. He chooses to worship. What deliverance are you praying for that you have not experienced yet? 
Do you find yourself being afraid, discouraged, wallowing? Or do you find yourself worshiping like Jehoshaphat? Even though he was terrified, he worshiped. This is how we walk as followers of God. This is how we live out warfare. Worship is warfare. God sees our worship as warfare. This is how we fight our battles. This is how we approach life. And we see this all throughout Scripture. I, I find it fascinating. Uh, Jenny and I, our uh, children's pastor, we didn't talk about this, but in between services, I, I went over to the little kids, just check in on them, see how they're doing, and they come out, and they're all excited. And I go, hey, uh, what'd you learn about today? And they're like, we learned about Jericho. I'm like, Jericho? I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. Well, what about Jericho? The walls fell down. Do you remember that? The Lord went to battle. He had them walk around, praising, worshiping, trumpets, walls fall down. Worship is warfare. This is all, all throughout Scripture. Joshua chapter 6, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, 2 Kings 3. Elisha asked for a harp to play, and as a rule, the power of God came upon him to prophesy. 1 Samuel 16, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. David and Saul, Saul's tormented by an evil spirit. David comes and plays music for him and calms him. Worship in Scripture is warfare. It's part of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, which we always talk about in regards to like lies and Bible study and discovering the truth, which is true. Have you ever thought of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 as worship as well? For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not our weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. When we come here to worship and to sing, we're singing truth, even though we may not necessarily fully have not fully embraced it or been obedient to it. You ever thought about that? That singing is a process of us learning to take every thought captive. Worship is our weapon because it reminds us of who God is, who we are, and proclaims victory and deliverance over all of his creation. And so when you come here to sing, you're coming here to change your mind and your heart and make it obedient to Christ. So this is what Jehoshaphat does. This is how he leads. I don't want you to notice the impact. Verse 19. Then some Levites, which are the priests, which is essentially the worship leaders of Israel. It says, some of the Levites from Kohathites and Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Jehoshaphat leads the way, and the Levites begin to follow. The priests begin to follow. They begin to praise with a very loud voice which is testimony to Jehoshaphat and his worship. That his worship began to impact others. Are you with me this morning? Your worship, it impacts others. Well, when you come in a small group, large group, whatever it is, and you come to worship Jesus, it impacts others. Your singing, your worship it impacts others. Look at this, verse 20. The story goes on. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa as they set out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you'll be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord 
and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord. It doesn't say this, our God and King, his love endures forever. 90s worship, are, are, do you hear it? It's right there, right? Some of you guys are like, let's go back, right? Let's go back, right? But this is it right here. As they began to sing and praise, it says. So they're going into battle. And how are they going into battle? Are they drawing up arms? As they go into battle, what are they doing? They're worshiping. And as they went into battle, and they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Worship is warfare. Your worship, it impacts the people around you. Is your worship dictated by your circumstances or is it dictated by your God? I told you guys last week about Roger Bunsey who had to bury his wife. And the next day, the next Sunday, the whole family's here worshiping and how it moved me. Because if I had to bury my wife, I, I don't know, just be really transparent with you, I don't know if I'd be like, let's go to church next day. I'd probably be in a home, in bed, mourning, grieving the loss. And they're here bringing it before Jesus, worshiping. And as I was thinking about this week and that story and how worship impacts people, I begin to just think in my own life about, you know, I, I keep experiencing this and I see it in the text then it's gotta be true for us too. And I was reminded of this story. I think it was about three months ago. Me and my family made a decision, me and my wife made a decision that our, my kids are moving to an age where they need to be here at church two hours. When we want them learning about Jesus with an amazing life for kids, uh, leaders that are loving on them, creating environments for them to learn about Jericho. But I want my kids, especially my two oldest, they need to be in here and they need to be worshiping Jesus with us, part of the family. And if you know anything about my uh, daughter, Alice, she knows how to get her worship on. She worships with everything. With everything she's got, she worships. She sings, sings loud. Like we talked about last week, Tahila. She worships with everything that she has. And it was in between services after that first hour that uh, this amazing servant here, Beth, came up to me. She goes, I need to tell you something. She goes, you know, as, as a worship volunteer, as a leader leading you guys, like it's normal for, for people to get focused on making sure that everything gets executed really well so that you guys have a meaningful experience with the Lord, right? And she was really caught up in like making sure I do everything right and, pl and, and playing is what she said. I, I, I was just playing. And then I saw your daughter worshiping with everything that she has. And it moved me from playing to worship. And she said this, your daughter is leading me. Your worship matters. 
it impacts people around you. And that is a testimony to the work of our God and what he does in us when we worship him. So I just want you to think about a couple things as we wrap up. God is a God who wants me to bring all that we are facing to him. Some battles we don't have the ability to face on our own and we can't change. We have a God who can. God intervenes when people seek him in worship and prayer, the battles we face. Some of you, there are things beyond control. Bring it to him. He can intervene. He can do a miracle. And even if he doesn't, will you trust him with it? Will you trust him with the pain? Will you trust him with the trauma? Will you worship knowing that he will work it out for good, the Bible says? That he's still telling a good story in the midst of the pain that you're experiencing. When I understand that God is worthy of my worship regardless of my circumstances, it leads me to a dependence. It leads you to a dependence on God that transcends your circumstances. This impacts me. This impacts you and those around you. And lastly, when I understand that worship is warfare, it empowers me to press into worship knowing I'm doing battle against my own thoughts and tears down the strongholds that are holding me back from fully experiencing all that God has for me. If we see worship as warfare, if we see worship as warfare, if we lead like King Jehoshaphat, what change will God do in me? What change will Jesus do in you? And what change could he do in others? He's a miracle worker. Will you believe it? Will you trust it? I want to encourage you to bow your head as we get ready for our time of communion. And just pray through what we talked about today. For some of you, you've got to give something over to God knowing that worship is warfare. This battle doesn't belong to you. For some of you, you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. You've never surrendered a part of your life to him, and he's calling on you to do that this morning. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Would you surrender it to him? Spend some time talking to Jesus this morning as we get ready to have a meaningful meal with him.